0: I'm going to go straight into this. I tell you, I've been at this music for five, six years now. So um, here's my take on it anyway. And see what you think. It was beat writer and visionary William S. Burroughs who first coined the term heavy metal in his 1964 novel Nova Express, where he named a character Uranian Willie, the heavy metal kid. Rock critic the late Lester Bangs later picked up on it to describe Black Sabbath. It really started it all with a sound that incorporated thundering green, drums, leaden bass, intermeshed guitars, and serenic vocals with lyrics that were submerged in humanity's dark side. Their 1970 debut album Black Sabbath spawned a genre that since mutated into an unstoppable rock bacillus with no known cure. <laughs> Sabbath permeates much of my perspective on rock music, some guitarist Stephen O'Malley explained to me when I was interviewing for The Wire magazine. They're like the prototype of head epic, heavy music, as well as being responsible for playing electric guitar differently. Their music is also very minimalist in the way that it strips away technicality and uses repetition. It's just the ugly root of it, and people can identify with that. Sabbath's first four albums, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Master of Reality and Volume 4, are essential sonic textbooks for any band who wants to graduate from the school of hard rock. Saba's sound was partly spawned as a result of guitarist Tony Iomi losing the tips of the middle and ring fingers of his right hand due to an industrial accident at the sheet metal factory where he was employed at the time fearing that he would never play guitar again Iomi found a solution by stringing his instrument with extra light strings and fashioning new extensions for his lost fingertips out of melted plastic washing liquid bottles (laughs) To further ease the tension on his fingers, Diomi detuned his guitar down by three steps and thus inadvertently invented the sound that would be universally recognized as being heavy metal music. Late 60s bands like Cream, Blue Cheer, Steppenwolf, MC5 and The Studies had been responsible for accelerating the volume and energy of rock music, but heavy metal was more sonically and visually extreme. 70s group Blue Oyster Cult came close to realising how metal would be forged in the future with their opening trilogy of albums, Blue Oyster Cult, Tyrannia Mutation and Secret Treaties, which, under the guidance of producer Sandy Perlman and writer Richard Meltzer, mixed the ideas of horror author H.P. Lovecraft into an imaginary history of World War II. In 1982, Newcastle's Venom released their Black Metal album, A benchmark record for successive goat-worshipping guitar groups who made black metal a genre in its own right. Dragged kicking and screaming into the so-called new wave of British heavy metal movement, Venom's militant Satanist approach was scoffed up by so-called serious rock music critics, but hungrily devoured by extreme music devotees and rebellious punk rockers who considered the band's uncompromising barrage of distortion and chaos The only alternative solution to more accepted new wave of British heavy metal headbangers like Def Leppard and Girl's School. Both of whom we loathe. (laughs) (laughs) Venom anthems, described by bass player Kronos as Satan's love songs, such as Poison and especially Live Like an Angel, Die Like a Devil, were responsible for setting loose black metal's second wave. Where hordes of Scandinavian black metal extremists, whose musical approach ranged from merely replicating what had already gone before, spearheaded by such legendary examples as Mayhem, Burzum, and Darkthrone, to summoning up dark and thrilling sonic outbursts which totally consumed the listener and, like some magical ceremony, proffered no way to leave the circle until the spell-song had been completed. The first wave of black metal that Venom had created back in 1982 as a means of disconnecting themselves and their audience from all social convention and accepted religious hierarchy has since spread worldwide and taken on a multitude of different forms. These include symphonic black metal, where the use of orchestral music is incorporated, folk and viking black metal, where the subject matter is focused on old Norse mythology as a way of rejecting Christianity. And returning to the group's true ancestral roots. Ambient or dark ambient metal, where synthesizers are used to create an atmosphere of doom and dread. Avant black metal, a more experimental and adventurous approach that utilizes everything from noise to music concret and, and field recordings. And there's even unblack metal, a Christian alternative that is somewhat disregarded <laughs> Due to the fact that it is impossible to play satanic music in a Christian way. (laughs) (laughs) At its very core though, true cult, and I'll spell it with a K, black metal, is satanic music played by satanists for the appreciation of satanists. It is an addictive form of music that if one is interested and drawn in, you will have to go deep underground to seek it out. It is very rarely broadcast on the radio or screened on television and although the Oxford Street branch of HMV has a quite impressive metal section, there are few places apart from obscure black metal sites on the internet where it is readily available. The real treasures are be found by going direct to the label Concerned and hoping that they still have a copy of the record, usually issued in a run of 666, that you desire. Despite the somewhat hostile look of these websites, The people who run them are genuinely passionate about the music they sell and really care for their customers. There is an unspoken brotherhood between black metal fans who tend to look out for each other, a loyal army of true believers who vehemently avoid contact with and despise those rip-off dealers and charlatans who occasionally encroach upon their territory. Despite being confronted by a technological world where downloads, MP3 players and iPods have become the norm, most true black metal legionnaires, because of the music's self-inflicted electicism and mistrust of commercialism still choose the now seemingly defunct C90 cassette tape as their preferred medium. While the scene begrudgingly acknowledges the digital revolution's global dominance, (coughs) with much of its creative output being released on CD or CDRs, it is on tiny cassette and vinyl editions that the underground roots of black metal still survives Flourishes and constantly evolves. Distributed privately or sold in obscure specialist record shops, such as the late Mayan guitarist Euronymous's legendary Helvita, Hel Vita Hell Emporium. Early black metal demo and rehearsal tapes by Darkthrone, Emperor, Immortal, and Varg Vikernes Bersen Project gave credence to the movement. Encouraging others to contribute their own reading of black metal's gleefully satanic and misanthropic mindset to the cause. One of the most original examples from black metal's murky birthing pool was abruptum. Perhaps we could have abruptum up, per uh, Christina. Um, no? No? There we are. A mysterious duo from Sweden made up of it. <laughs> on screams, drums, cries, and torture, and evil on guitars, sounds, and darkness, whose apocryphal origins are shrouded in rumour and hearsay. Remember, they warned in the booklet from one of their 1991 recordings, this is not music, only pure evil, in capital letters. This from Stephen O'Malley a lot of black metal fans are very conservative about their music appreciation and this, abruptum, was free jazz to them. It was all improvised. <coughs> and there's a legend behind the vocals. The main vocalist, who supposed, was supposedly this dwarf called It, <laughs> who would wear corpse paint. I don't know if you know not corpse paint. His corpse paint is when, um, this is what he's wearing. He's wearing corpse paint. His face is white and his eyes and his lips and his, and his mouth are and, and made out in black to resemble like, I don't know dead blood or something, uh, it who would wear corpse paint and the whole thing. The legend was that a microphone would be put in front of him and he would be electrocuted, burned, and <laughs> cut in the studio to produce desired sounds of torture for the vocals. I don't know if it's true, Abruptum's approach to black metal is more complicated in that the musicians are communicating at that exact moment in time to create an improvisation. They're paying attention to what the other person is doing. As raw as it might be, you can tell that they're doing that. There's some interplay, some conversation happening between the players. This is also generated in just one long 60 minute take. It occasionally dips down into some slower spaced out passages, but to retain that unflinching emotion and aggression is pretty impressive. Although it has now been revealed that leader Tony It Salcar was not a dwarf <laughs> <laughs> and did not receive electric shocks to producing the screams and moans that permeate Abruptum's recordings, the eerie, haunted dungeon ambience of the group's 1990 demos, the Satanist Tunes, remains one of black metal's pinnacle achievements as it burrowed even deeper underground towards the other God. How about the play some Abruptum mm, mm. The Profundes Mores Vas Consumé. it's about soup. <laughs> 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 um, uh, Abrookton were, were, were the main reason I go into this obsession with black metal in the beginning. I just think they're in, incredible. And I, and, I, and I really think that what is saying there about free jazz is completely right. I think that's probably why it attracted me. Before... You know, I was always, I was a I've been a huge free jazz fan for a long time mainly because I like the idea of other music's being deconstructed, being torn apart and reassembled and remodeled and made to you know and people putting their hands over their ears and saying no it's too much it's just stop it there's no <laughs> there's no music there stop it stop it what you're doing you, you you're ruining it for me you're spoiling it you know I want, I want to get kind of blue I want to I don't want to, you know and, and it just completely ruins it when. All of a sudden Frank Wright opens up and just destroys the whole thing. Little did they realise that if they listened really, really close to it, they would find that all the things they loved <laughs> about the music are there as well. they are just been taken out and pulled and stretched to their farthest limits. It's like the Stooges' LA Blues, isn't it? The early blues. Exactly, yeah. like LA Blues by the Stooges. It's just disassembling rock music and putting it back in another way. And I kind of like that idea about, that's what I really like about black metal is that it not not so much that it is a rebellious, I like that idea as well. And I like the satanic imagery. I think that's very important. I think it's very interesting. But I think the main thing I really um, do like about it is all the thousands of ways they found of taking rock apart and making it interesting again after, you know, so many years of it just been plodded out again and again and again and again and again, the same old riffs and the same everything like that. So really Abruptum was where for me where it started and I've carried on since then. But back to my essay. The same shuffling shadow of an ease, despair, an altered consciousness that echoed through Abruptum's early tape experiments continues today in the work of Maurice <coughs> Dillon's Northern Tongues from Holland and Finnish groups Circle of Arubarus and Dead Reptile Shrine, all of whom have released their recordings in conventional and unconventional formats, usually in small runs. Perversely, Yong uses his MySpace webpage to distribute his recordings, while Circle of Arubarus and Dead Reptile Shrine switch between vinyl CDs and cassettes to communicate with their followers. Both of these latter groups attempt to retain a shape of shifting hidden identity where the listener is made uncertain just how many people, or maybe creatures, are involved. Burning Black Infinity, the latest offering from Dead Reptile Shrine, is available in cassette form and is an impressively packaged 2LP set from US independent label label Cocaine Acopia, in an edition of 300 copies. But it is the tape versions of their work where the group's creepy-crawly sonic and visual attack really transcends into the unknown. Decorated with photocopies of crudely drawn magical sigils and distorted photographs of trees from some frost-flayed blair witchy forest. Such titles as Blood and Grail, The Infinite Equinox, Sabbat and The Jewel Throne, which is a three CDR set, are unlike anything black metal has choked up so far. Depending on the time, do we have time to play... Some dead reptile shrine for everybody. You're in <coughs> free. <coughs> okay. Did Reptile Shrine and um, that track was called a cave full of corpse lanterns. <laughs> 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 they use um, they use a lot of power electronics um, mainly because I think some of the group are involved in a in a in a power electronics from f- band from Finland called Cloma um, And um, so their music sort of drifts <coughs> from the very odd folk music to well very extreme sort of black metaly, jingle jangly, horrible stuff. Um, Again, is that sense of improvisation though in this music, you know, I mean, that definite sense of um, trying to go beyond the sort of very limited parameters of real rock music. There is al- almost a talismanic feel to these cassette re- releases that convincingly evokes the presence of something spectral joining in. Well, it does on when you've got a really good stereo. <laughs> <laughs> Coupled to a sensation of edgy excitement as the group's rustling and glossolalian chanting produces sounds that to the awestruck listeners seem intoxicatingly forbidden. To me, it feels as though... Black metal groups like Dead Reptile Shrine, Sweden's Funeral Mist and One Man Band Nor Their Tongues from Holland are creating their own grimoires, but instead of ink on parchment, they are using sonic forces as a way of communicating ideas and or producing magic. The tactile music format still available, together with the f- various artwork, lyric sheets and testimonials they are wrapped in are also a way of producing a personalised magical object whose power is unleashed when the recording is either placed on a (coughs) turntable, slipped inside a CD player, or slotted into a cassette machine and turned all the way up. (laughs) The louder the music, the greater its power, and listened to at full volume the intense insectile buzzing of guitars, high-speed drumming and wolfish vocal barks and howls are also capable of producing a strange, calming state of near transcendental bliss as the music rushes at you and ultimately takes possession. Okay, um, that's the main bit. Uh, If we could move on a few slides, please. Here we are. This is Ariok the Funeral Mist. Now, um, this is a kind of a new discovery for me. I've had their records for a long time. but never listened to them but for some strange reason prior to this talk I just pulled one out put it on and I thought it was the most amazing record I've ever heard in my life I don't know why but anyway here's, some, here's a little rundown about Funeral Mist there are three black metal groups called Funeral Mist <laughs> one came from Washington in the US that have now split up another, a quartet is based in Peru where they now go under the name of Ilapa. I presume that's how they spell it The last and best black metal group who chose the name Funeral Mist are from Stockholm in Sweden and it is this manifestation that I wish to talk to you about this evening. Formed in 1993 by vocalist, guitarist and bass player Ariok aka Daniel Mortis Rosten Funeral Mist were originally devised as a more experimental side project to Marduk, the group he was already involved with. While the already established Marduk's approach was to play a more orthodox version of black metal, with Satanism, anti-Christianity, death and war (coughs) as its main lyrical themes, overlaid with furiously fast guitar passages and drum and bass bomb bursts, Funeral Mist turned their attention to the inner workings of a medieval-styled hell, and the torments and horrors that were to be found there. The group's earliest recordings were gathered together on an EP called Devilry where the group's manifesto was rolled out, a selection of hard-hitting, atmospheric songs that paid dark homage to a satanic form that Ariok described on one track as the God Supreme. Apart from the inclusion of an occasional sample from some long-forgotten European 70s horror film, there was little to separate Funeral Mist from the already raging Marduk. The real change came with the group's second album, Salvation. Next slide, please where a more compositional approach was was introduced with alarming and unsettling results. As the cover sort of explains, they're pretty (laughs) hardcore. While the principal black elements were still firmly in place, the songs on salvation were fused together with a genuine aura of evil, as though the listener had stumbled across an obscene blasphemous ritual that was taking place on some blasted heath. Here the group sounded suffused with a Nicole energy that was taken at the brink of their own musicianship, and during certain sections, their mortality. So now I'd like to play you some funeral mystery. Third so of the way through that track, but uh, <laughs> you get the idea. Um, and I don't think this, this um, particular machine is giving you the best benefit of what they truly sound like. It probably never will give the benefit of anything again, I <laughs> <coughs> not. Yeah, I can hear it skipping and getting very worried um, there. Anyway, that was Circle of Eyes from Salvation. And if you could have the next slide, please, uh, Christina. Thank you. This is their new album. <clears throat> Salvation was released in 2003 to great acclaim, but it would take six years before Funeral R- Mist would return. To the new album, the just released Marana- Maranatha, has been met with some hostile reaction from those black metal legions who felt that the group had veered too far from the direction they had taken on Salvation. It is as fake as a hallmark, ca- hallmark card, as contrived as Britney Spears, <laughs> as hokey as Pink Lady. It is distracting like cradle of filth the originator of the carnival <laughs> black new metal style and is motivated by an ethic of convenience as a Roman whore people would pretend to like it because it's later dim you Borgia dressed up in true culty clothing but at its core this album is devoid of meaning or particular musical recommendation raved one disgruntled fan on the Encyclopedia Metallum website in truth Maranatha is even more darkly disturbing than its predecessor where remaining member Ariok has reinvented his already tilted musical direction and in doing so has given an indication of where black metal should now be heading in this case beyond even his wildest henbane induced nightmares (laughs) (laughs) while the themes of hell, eternal damnation and leprous witchcraft rites remain predominantly up front on this latest record the feeling that explodes here is more hallucinatory as a blackened sense a coven-driven psychedelia begins to leap through the hiss of his instrumentation. Maranatha is black metal in its purest form, an addictive embodiment of surreal evil whose cabalistic meaning is mercifully blurred behind a stinging blizzard of frozen instrumentation and sample sorcery rather than being devoid of meaning or musical recommendation repeated playbacks allow it to poisonously unfurl and reveal itself as a terrifying intoxicating masterpiece it really is I'd like to finish now by playing you from Marinatha the entire track 8 anti-flesh Nimbus Play <laughs> <laughs> You've been stared. You might <laughs> <laughs> try to gain upstairs. We, after, but thank you very much, time. anyway. That's it. That's thank my <laughs>